0: Something interesting is sure to happen. Well, I think you want to tell me who you are first.
1: Mr. Rabbit, then
0: why did you ask
1: the question? Goodness, this is quite extraordinary. Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go?
0: turning into the most curious adventure I've ever had. Welcome to the Alice in Wonderland podcast. I'm Georgia Ellis and thank you once again for jo- joining me as I tumble down yet another rabbit hole. And today I'm really excited to get curious with my guest, Dr. Patricia Zarita Ona. So she's also known, her clients gave her the beautiful nickname of Dr. Z. So I'm gonna probably call her either Patricia or Dr. Z today, but here's a little bit of a background about her. So Dr. Z is a licensed clinical psychologist and she's based out of California. Her clinical work started first as a school psychologist and then as a clinical psychologist. For over 16 years, she has helped people struggling with all types of anxiety, perfectionism, procrastination, and emotion regulation problems. Her particular areas of expertise are obsessive-compulsive disorder, which is OCD, and post-traumatic stress disorder, which is PTSD. She is a graduate of the International OCD Foundation Behaviour Therapy Training Institute for the Treatment of Pediatric OD OCD. I'm I'm getting it all back to front here. OCD and adult OCD. She has also completed training in dialectic behavior therapy. And over the last 10 years, she has been learning, practicing, and teaching acceptance and commitment therapy. Dr. Z has authored five books in her field of expertise and is passionate about helping clients to get unstuck from any problem related to fear based struggles. She works with overachievers and overthinkers to get them unstuck from fear-based struggles and ineffective playing-it-safe actions so they can do what works, what matters, and what they care about. That sounds amazing, and I can't wait to get curious. So welcome, Dr. Z.
1: Hi, Georgia. Thank you so much for having me. Very much it to have a chance to chat with you.
0: I'm looking forward to unpacking and and talking about some of these areas of expertise that you have. So, absolutely amazing piece of work there, and, and helping. helping. Especially love um, the part, and I actually stole this from your signature on your email, where you say you help people. You know, you work with overachievers and overthinkers. I think that's a lot of people on our on our uh, listeners on our podcast. So, I think they're going to just dial up the volume right now to listen to you.
1: <laughs> I'm glad to know that you're. I
0: up yeah so you're in the right place so everyone who thinks they're an overthinker or overachiever turn the volume up and let's um, sit back and get curious so i do have a question that i ask to all of my guests and it's a, a very simple question based on uh lewis carroll's story alice in wonderland and i like to ask every guest to imagine that I'm a seven-year-old Alice skipping my way through Wonderland, like the the story suggests, and I bump into, instead of bumping into the Cheshire Cat, I bump into you. And I say, Dr. Z, who are you? What are you doing? What do you do in this wonderful world that we share? And how would you answer the work that you do and explain it to a seven-year-old child?
1: Wow, that's such a beautiful question. I love it. Um, I think what I do is this, I do help people to get unstuck from uh, struggling with fears, worries, obsessions, and anxieties. I think, more than ever, we are exposed to high degrees of fearful-based situations and experiencing fear is something that we're wired to experience, but it's also very uncomfortable when your heart is beating fast, when your hands are sweating, when your legs are shaking, or you have butterflies in your stomach. So in my work, I work a lot with um, all types of people, from the seven-year-old that is afraid of a needle to the 50-year-old person that is afraid of making a poor investment. So all of them are struggling with fear-based reactions. So I do everything I can to help my clients to get unstuck from being paralyzed by fear-based responses and expand their life and do all the things that they deeply care about.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And I love that because fear is one of the biggest obstacles we have. And I, I don't think people realize that it's our innate protective mechanism that's, that's turning on, right?
1: Yeah, I think, thank you for sharing that. One of the challenges that we have with these uncomfortable emotions, like fear, anxiety, panic, is that we have been socialized with the messages that it's not okay to be afraid. That being afraid is a weakness, that we have to tough it up, that we have to power through things. The challenge is that experiencing fear is extremely adaptive it's human and it has kept us alive for hundreds millions of years right Mm -hmm. so i think because we have received those messages our response usually is to run away from anything that makes us feel afraid right we just try to get out as soon as possible the challenge is that when we do that we also run away from doing the things that are important for us
0: yeah
1: every time i act on my fear, right i'm also um, avoiding facing the things that I really care about. So I think learning to navigate with fear and developing a new relationship with it, that it's not that, oh my gosh, I am scared. And it's more like, here comes this fear-based response. Here comes my anxiety. I know this, my hands are sweaty. So developing this friendly relationship with fear-based reactions can actually be very empowering for people.
0: Yeah, I agree. mm
1: we can learn to make room for it, and instead of trying to get rid of it, we can learn to actually just hold our fears with kindness, with gentleness, and just keep doing the things that we need to be doing. The amazing thing when we learn that the skill is that instead of spending a lot of mental energy fighting with our fears in our head, we actually free ourselves to have more mental energy to do the things that we want to be doing, to socialise, to hang out with our friends, right? So it's a a very, I think, interesting relationship and the amazing things that happen when we make this shift.
0: I I love that you say that, and there's so many little gems that I think I could go down little rabbit holes with just what you just said in that brief, you know, you know, sentence or paragraph. Um, One of the things... I love that you said is changing our relationship or really looking at our relationship to fear. So can we unpack that a little further? How do you how do you see or how do you help or how can we help ourselves to really navigate and change that relationship with fear? So um, before you answer, I just wanna put a little um, context around it. So at the moment, the world is going through the pandemic and there is a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, doubt, worry, and even panic for people. Um, so it would be really nice if people could understand these things that they're feeling within them and then how to change the relationship to it. So I'm really keen to understand how, you know, how it happens and how we can actually change the relationship.
1: Mm -hmm. One of the things that I invite people to do when they start working with me or to my friends, and that's something that I certainly have done in my life is looking and looking and doing an inventory of all the messages we have received about fear. Since we are born, right? We're developing meaning uh, about all types of things, about what's happening in the world outside of us and under our skin. So we have socialized and we have learned messages about how we should handle fear-based responses. How should we handle the fear of failure? How should we handle the fear of making mistakes? So I think it's helpful to step back a little bit and just grab a piece of paper maybe and just write down all the facts and beliefs you have about fear. About anxiety, about panic, right? About wacky thoughts that sometimes our mind comes up with, like obsessions. And when you identify these thoughts, for example, it could be that um, there are common thoughts like, I shouldn't be afraid. Um, it doesn't make sense that I am afraid,
0: right? Mm. Um, or I'm weak because I'm afraid, or. Right.
1: This makes me weak, right? Mm-hmm. Or if I am afraid, means that I cannot do this. Or when I stop feeling afraid, then I will do that, right? So when you have an inventory of all those thoughts related to fear and beliefs, belief systems that we have, then it's important to look at what's my behavior. When that thought pops up, what do I do? Do I approach a situation? Do I approach a conversation? Or do I avoid? And then the next step would be looking, how does that behavior works in my life? Let's say that for example, I am afraid of public speaking and you kindly invite me for a conference and you say, Patricia, this is going to be a fun event. We would love to have you here. And I'm like, okay, you know, that sounds fun, Georgia, but inside me, I'm boiling. My heart is beating fast, right? And then my mind tells me I won't do a good job. Maybe people won't understand my accent, so I shouldn't go, right? So then what I do, I get hooked on that thought. I get actually fused with the thought. I take the thought as the absolute truth. And then I tell you, Georgia, you know what? I took a look to my schedule and it's not going to work. Thank you so much. We can try next year. The challenge is that when I do that, right, uh, while it works, because now I don't have to put myself to give a talk, right? I don't have to be anxious. But when I do that, I'm also missing chances to get to know amazing people, to meet other people, to actually socialize and expand my relationships, my career. So I think looking at how it works in our life, it's going to be important to develop this new relationship with fear. New mm-hmm. uh, relationship looks like instead of acting quickly on what I am afraid of, I actually can acknowledge. And acknowledging that I am afraid means saying things like, I this that my hands are sweaty right now. I this that there is a little bit of like a butterfly sensation in my stomach. And I'm going to check with me what's important right now. What do I really want to be doing? I know I feel like running away and getting out as soon as possible, but is that helpful in my life? what's the tiny thing i can do what's the micro step i can do to approach what is important to me while also making room for these feelings so i think in a nutshell answering to your question right the first step is to develop awareness right just jot down all the beliefs you have about fears anxieties worries take a look to all the actions and behaviors that come along and then check how they work in your life what is important is to really check if you want to expand your life and be the person you want to be that is going to come feeling some degree of fear in some shape in some form right and when those sensations come instead of trying to push down the motion or judge it as something bad we can actually describe it we can describe it we can maybe roll our shoulders back we can take a deep breath and then we can ask ourselves what do I really want to be doing right now? And then I learn to approach. So those micro steps help people to make a shift from running away from fear to learning to live with fear-based responses.
0: I, I really like what you say there about building that awareness. And I think it's there's a, another step to that too in, in relation to... So build your own awareness to your beliefs around fear Panic, you know, all these things that we tell ourselves that it's negative and it's bad. So have a look at those. But I think there's also another level of awareness that people don't quite understand. And that's the awareness of the fear response itself, what it's doing, why it's doing it. Because when you understand that, when you get those sweaty palms, when you get that elevated heart rate, when your, you know, legs start to uh, shake, like you said before. You now know what is happening. My fear response or my stress response is trying to protect me right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't understand that; they just feel it and just halt and stop and freeze, right? So, I want to share, if it's okay. Of course, it's okay. My podcast. I'm going to share. I'm going to share a story um, to help because I think this is really fits nicely with what you're saying around the awareness of fear many years ago i was asked to do a talk like your example i was asked to do a talk and i said yes and for this particular talk uh, i needed to uh, i was presenting to a group of people an audience that i hadn't presented to before so Mm -hmm. the the niche of people were outside of my area of expertise but what i was talking about was my area of expertise so i had to try and gel those things together i'm going to keep the story really short i remember standing at the back of the room When on the stage, I was, you know, someone was about to introduce me Mm -hmm. and they introduced my my name and it was about a 10 second walk. Wasn't that long to the stage? And I remember walking up there and feeling the fear response. Mm -hmm. So this was the awareness of, oh, I'm feeling the fear response right now. And what I did in that moment was tell myself a different story. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm feeling this, I know my body's trying to save me because I just feel like I'm about to you know, step into the lion's den, these people, I, I don't know the audience, I don't know, you know their fears, worries, doubts and so forth. So all I did was in that 10 seconds, I switched my thinking from I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know the audience to I'm about to grow. Obviously, I've never done this before, so that's why I'm feeling fearful because I don't have any recognition of having you know, spoken to this type of crowd before. So it was just that little piece of awareness. And I love that you say awareness of our own fears, but also the awareness of what's going on in our body.
1: That's a beautiful example, Georgia. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think the part that I want to capitalize a little bit is what you say that when we get afraid, our mind comes with all types of disaster, forecasted thoughts. It's going to be bad, terribly bad. My career is going to be over. No one is going to like me. My husband is going to get divorced after this. <laughs> um, but something to know this is that we don't like those thoughts. But think about it. Our mind, um, all what it's trying to do is protect us, exactly as you say. Our ancestors, the cave men and the cave women, they also have to be able to feel anxious and be afraid, right? They have to anticipate what could possibly go wrong, what went wrong. So evolutionarily speaking, it's we are wired to be anxious creatures, And when we get anxious and scared, our mind comes up with all types, you know, watch out, that could be terribly bad. Watch out, don't walk there, don't do that, right? So our task is to remember also to develop this new relationship with thinking and with thoughts that even though we don't like those thoughts, they don't have to define us. We are not our thoughts. We are container of our thoughts. We can learn to have our thoughts. But at the end of the day, it's how we respond to them, right? And what action I decide to take that can really actually help us to have a rich and meaningful life, right? Mm-hmm. So. The awareness is exactly as you're saying, noticing what's happening under my skin, but also acknowledging that my mind is not my enemy. It's just an overreactive friend that is trying to protect me. And when I get scared, it's working super hard so I don't get killed. But remember that that's something that the mind is doing because of evolution. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily under threat. Mm -hmm. It's just how my brain is working super, super hard. So in moments like that, for example, um, one of the things that I do many times, I just coach myself and I tell myself, thank you brain, thank you mind. I know you're working super hard right now, but that's not very helpful. So this looks very benign. Um, However, what happens is that when we engage in more acceptance-based prompts or acceptance-based micro-coaching, like micro-self-talk, our amygdala quiets down a little bit because it's a little bit more soothing, right? The challenge is that when we start fighting and just thinking all types of things, right, or trying to pretend that we're not afraid, all that stuff creates so much more noise in our head versus simply acknowledging that we're scared choosing how to respond to, that, to those thoughts, and then choosing the behavior, mm-hmm. right? I think that's how we can develop a new relationship to all these fear-based reactions that come with experiencing our body, our thoughts, and our feelings.
0: So do you, do you, um, do you help people also recognize that you know, fear is... It's an interesting, it's a really interesting part of who we are, right? But it's also the brain, this is my understanding and please add, add anything here. The brain will go looking for patterns and cells of recognition. So if, for instance, my example, I've, I had spoken on a stage before, I'd done all these things, yet I still felt the fear. And then I, while I was walking, I had to go, well, I don't have any cells of recognition or patterns for speaking to this type of audience. So that's when the fear kicked in. Yeah. So is it the, the brain's response is like the uh cavemen and cave women going well this surrounding is unfamiliar, so now I need to be a high alert. Mm-hmm. So is this what's happening with us when we're experiencing that fear?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great point. The way that I think of our um, brain when getting activated with fear-based responses is that one, is a content generating machine. Like the brain is constantly coming up with all types of thoughts. Yeah, don't we know that. <laughs> right? <laughs> like our mind is the like blah 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 cha 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 cha, right? So, so it's generating content, all types of content, hypothesis, dream, to do list, right? Uh, so that's one of the things that the mind does. The brain is also a pattern making think. It's all the time connecting things, connecting the past with the future right? What could possibly happen in 10 years, right? Who's going to like me not, right? If I had a bad experience in an elevator, I may be wondering about the next elevator I'm going to take, right? Um, But also the brain, it's a little bit like an experience simulator, because given that the brain is connecting everything with everything, automatically somehow is going to create experiences as if we're living so when we are scared creates this experience of fear and predicts right anticipate is going to be bad your talk is going to go bad and then what we do we take that experience as a truth mm-hmm. so i think it's incredible how our mind organizes information right uh, but that's the reason why it's important to develop more like a friendly relationship acknowledging knowledge that the brain is only doing its job. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Um, do you know I'm going to sing a song and I'm going to ask you to continue? Is that okay?
0: If I know it, <laughs>
1: I think-
0: <laughs> for sure. And then automatically I'm going, You, yeah, I really don't know. I'm not the best singer, but okay, listeners.
1: <laughs> Let's see how we do, right? Just an experiment. Happy birthday to you. Happy, happy birthday to you. So this is a very, it sounds like a very silly exercise, but here's the deal. Whatever we are, whoever we are with, we will remember that tune. And why is that? Because our brain has already accumulated that experience, right? So you can be walking in any part of the world and you may hear that tune and other words, your brain will automatically associate that right that particular tune with the words happy birthday to you so if i can tell you for example georgia i am going to say three very important numbers and i want you to do the best you can to remember them at the end of the show are you ready for the numbers yeah sure okay so the numbers are seven nine one So here is something that, again, sounds very silly, but what happens is the brain is storing that information. right? I will check with you, maybe in one week, you may remember those numbers or not, but you will remember that I asked you something silly, like remember these numbers, can you sing the happy birthday song with me? So this is exactly how our brain is constantly linking, connecting, and relating. And it does the same with all types of experiences. If I am afraid of taking the elevator, if I'm afraid of making a bad decision in a relationship, if I'm afraid of launching a project that is not ready, right, my brain will remember and may pull back information from the past about times in which things didn't go so well, times in which things went wrong. And then Instead of approaching it effectively, I may actually start dwelling in all those, you know, disaster forecasted thoughts, which will, will give me migraines, I will have headaches and I will actually be stuck in my head, right? So I think that's incredible how fear-based responses can be very paralyzing for people and it really can drive them to analysis paralysis.
0: Yeah. And I think I love what you're saying there about get out of get out of the head and more into... I think this is something you said earlier, you know, is this, is this really true? Is this really going to happen? How do I know? And it's almost like sitting back and instead of having analysis paralysis around it is, you know, maybe get a piece of paper out and go, okay, this fear that I have, is it 100% true? Do I know 100% that this is going to happen? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you can logically start writing out and then plan and potentially put contingencies in place just in case.
1: Right. That's right, or you can also ask yourself, if I avoid giving this talk, if I spend five hours thinking about what could possibly go wrong with this project or with this hiring, does it help me to be the person I want to be? Hmm. Does, it help to be that, uh, does it help me to build the career I want to have? Um, there is this approach that um, I use as a frame for all my work. It's called acceptance and commitment therapy. And within acceptance and commitment therapy, um, we invite people to figure out what matters, do what matters, and learn to take with them all the uncomfortable experiences, all the yucky stuff that comes when you're doing what matters. So a key skill is to develop um, the awareness of looking at the workability. And within this approach, when we think about workability, is looking at, does it help me to live my values or not? Does it help me to show up to the relationships in the way I want to show up or not? So I think that's another way to do it, right? If I, um, if I avoid making that phone call, if I don't reply to that email, if I avoid jumping on a plane, does it really help me in the long term? Am I becoming the person I want to be? So I think when we have clarity about what's truly important to us, and we are aware about how our actions can take us farther or away, then that's, a thing. give us more motivation to do what is important. Mm.
0: I love what you said there around, is this helping me become the person I want to be? I love that because the work I do, I work a lot with people defining and starting to get clarity on who they want to become. And there's a lot of fear involved with making that switch and that change. What happens to people who don't have visions, goals, or aren't aware of their values and they're just quite happy to sit in the fear you know do you get any do you experience people like that who don't actually aren't looking to growing into the future um Mm. and yeah don't have that vision not aware of values do they tend to get stuck more or how do you experience those people
1: Great question. I think you're right, sometimes we encounter people in our work and in our life that are very clear. They're very clear about what matters to them, right? Teenagers, for example, they are super clear. They want to be loyal with their friends. They want to be real. Authenticity is extremely important for them, social justice. So I think, um, and yeah, the teens are the best example to get in touch with what really matters. Um, I think the way that I think when I ask a person, I say, what's really important for you? I gather that we're stuck with this panic sensation or not knowing whether you get divorced or not or whether not knowing if you're going to have a co-founder or not. So what's that? And people may say, well, I I don't know. I'm a little bit lost. I think what happens in life is that sometimes it is true that we lose direction. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we really important to us maybe we get consumed by the minutiae of day-to-day life of the stuff that we have to do errands we have to run that we actually take ourselves farther away from the things that are important to us but I think people most of the times know when they're stuck right they they sense it they may not be able to verbalize where they want to go but they know when they're stuck because they're, you know, sometimes they are at the end of the day, they are trying to go to sleep and they're looking at the roof and they are just thinking about all types of things, right? Or they have this sense of apathy in their day-to-day life, right? Um, so I think the question I have for them is: if we imagine that this stuckness is one side of a coin, what's the stuff that you care about that it's on the other side? What is this stuckness trying to show you? Mm. I think. This is not something that we can rush through it, right? Because I genuinely believe sometimes we lose contact with the things that are important to us. That's human. Being alive is messy, absolutely messy.
0: <laughs> there's no there's no rule book or instruction manual.
1: <laughs> I do have an instruction manual on how to be human, right? We there to look at what's behind our fears. What's the stuff that we care about? So I like to use the metaphor of a coin, right? In which our fears on the one side also are coming with the things that we care about. And then usually maybe I invite people to imagine how would they look like if they have still that feeling of stuckness, but they're living a meaningful and purposeful life. How will it look like? Sometimes I think there is this emotional blocks. People may say like, I cannot go there. I don't Mm. know how. And then I invite people, if they are willing and open to explore that. But that means that it's going to invite us to get in contact with some form of pain, a pain that they have been running away, right? But that inaction actually is keeping them more stuck. Um, so I think sometimes we do some different types of exercises. For some of my clients, I invite them to go back long time ago, let's say 50 years ago. What are the things they were dreaming about? or I invite them to do an inventory of the moments of meaning they experience in their life. In our lives, there are times, even when we were a kids that we remember clear when things were like really special and unique to us, when we feel you know, alive and energized and we had this sense of vitality. So I invite people to an inventory of those moments. And what happens when we start unpacking those micro moments, it doesn't have to be the perfect moments. But when we're having those conversations, people start getting in contact at different pace, right? What's really important to them. And then from that, we talk about what is important for them in their relationships, career-wise, for personal growth, in their health, in different areas, right? Uh, but I think the biggest thing is behind our stuckness, there is a stuff that we care about. We just mm. forget how to get access to that.
0: Yeah. Do you do you also find because listening to you, that's a really beautiful thing to to have uh, the metaphor, the analogy of the of the of the coin. But I find sometimes with the work that I do and the people that I encounter that people have told themselves over and over and over again. they're a certain way. Oh no, I'm just and I just need to analyze everything, or I'm very this, I'm very that, and that then becomes the story which then (laughs) builds on and creates the fear of stepping outside of this story that they've told themselves they are. Do you experience people who have identified or created an identity that's not actually serving them? And then what I find is they then justify staying stuck with excuses.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. You're bringing such a... I think a very interesting point. I think many times the other functions of our mind is to come up with the stories, the stories about stuff, stories about others, stories about ourselves. And within psychology, people may call that self-concept, self-esteem, right? But reality is that we're putting letters and boards together. And what happened is one of the things that we do is that we hold onto those stories with white knuckles. The stories about being impostors, about not being good enough, about not being strong enough. Um, all of us were carrying a narrative about who we are. And the challenge is that if we don't step back and look that it's another function of our mind, we tell that as an absolute truth. And then what I do, I go into a lot of reason giving mode. It's because I think I'm not good enough, right? Mm-hmm. It's because I won't ever get a job. I, you know I applied two years ago, I didn't get a job, so I'm not going to get it right That's why I know I'm a loser. So I think that here in my mind is all the time coming up with content and creating associations. my question for people when I have situations like that is is it working? if mm. we keep doing what we have been doing? I'm not saying the story is not true. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I want to invite you to step back and look at what happens. When you go into this into this place of a, holding into that story, that I'm not good enough, that something is broken with me, and this is why this is happening. Do you take action? Does it help you to move forward in your life, or are we still stuck? So I think when I ask that question, right, for sometimes for some people, it's a moment of aha moment, not all the time. But it's very different than arguing against the story because some stories have been overly reinforced hundreds of times, right? You touch one dot of the story and everything gets activated. So then we are stuck, right? And becomes this, I think, um, like a mind chest in our head. But looking at is it working? If you keep holding into that story, are you living the life you want to live? right or sometimes asking questions so what would you like your uh, tombstone to say about you she has spent five hours you know thinking and thinking about how she wanted to live life or she has spent five hours on a trip with her daughter and with her beloved husband right which one are we going to write right <laughs> i think asking people again to look at how it works When they're having these stories, it's super important to help them to get unstuck.
0: So how do you help people move from this identity that they have that's keeping them stuck? So you said, you know, asking them, is this working for you? And there's an answer, yes or no. What's the next step for someone if they say, no, it's not working for me. I need to change this story, this dialogue that I'm telling myself. How do you help them do that? Are there any... I know there's no magic pills, but any tips and tools for people who go, I keep telling myself I'm not this, this, and this, but I want to be this, this, and this. How do they shift the dial? How do they move?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So when I hear that, right, like, well, I have to change my thoughts, I have to change my story, and then I will be able to do this. Here's a little bit like a goofy response. Best wishes, good luck, because we're going to be waiting together for years. Here's why this is important, and my background is in behaviorists, right? Now, it doesn't mean that, that we are not caring, we can actually put a lot of compassion in caring. But what we know, and what behavioral science has shown us over and over, is that our narratives and our thoughts change because of our actions. Mm. So this idea that because I think so, the I am, it's outdated, that's from the 50s. Uh, but I think when we start engaging in different ways, when we start taking action, then we experience ourselves differently. Then we think of ourselves differently. So I think the biggest thing when I when I have those moments of stuckness in my work, um, I say to people, you know, I think this is really hard. And let me do another exercise. If I tell you, Georgia, please don't think about best friend don't do the best you can do not think of your best friend what happens
0: you think of your best friend
1: That's right and this is exactly what happens when people and all of us were you know trying to not have this negative story this negative narrative about who we are right so i think when i do some of these experiential exercises and invite people how would it look like if we learn to actually have that story but we still figure out what's important to you and we take the steps towards that and we teach them other skills right but I think the biggest thing is that um, trying to control our thinking actually can have a, a negative effect for us because we're fighting one thought with another thought we're trying to win our mind but we're never going to win our mind things are different when we learn to make room for all the mind noise that pops up and I learned to take actions, even though my mind goes blah, blah blah, blah, blah. So it's a different response.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And I'm wondering if there's if there's room for both. so because there is that narrative that comes up, and i I totally agree with we we do need to take action and and courageously step forward to those things that we we fear. And I think uh, Joseph Campbell's quote, you know, the fear, I'm oh, sorry, the cave we fear to enter holds the treasure we speak. He doesn't say, the thoughts we have, you know, fear to enter. It's about action into stepping into the cave to go and get the thing we want. So there's action orientation in that quote. But understanding too that a lot of the narratives and a lot of the thoughts are what causes this visceral um, feeling within us and can make us freeze. So is there a way that we can dynamically shift and do both? So notice those thoughts, you know, laugh at them, tell yourself a different story while taking action.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me share something personal. Um, one of the biggest stories I have incurred in my whole life is that I'm not um a good daughter for my parents. My whole life, since I was a teenager, right? My mind goes blah blah. blah. You're yeah, not a good daughter, Patricia. not a good daughter. So, um, sometimes another story. When I'm writing, sometimes my mind goes ballistic. and am telling Patricia, no one is going to books, your career is going to be over. No one is going to take you serious. So the way that I respond to these stories, I notice them, right? Because they're also very loud, right? I cannot ignore them. They're super loud, Uh, but I give them a name. So I have a story about that not good enough daughter. I have the story of Cranky Patricia. I have the story of Judge Patricia. I imagine sometimes how they may look like I sometimes I imagine I'm holding the story and putting it in my packet, or I imagine I am putting it here in this container and I see how the story looks there. Um, but idea here is I choose to keep writing. I choose to keep making a phone call to talk to my mom. I choose to keep traveling whatever I have to travel to meet with my family. So. Answering your question, yes, it is possible to learn to do both. It is possible to take steps while having the story with us as things that we see, we hear, but knowing that they don't have to define us. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, of course, I'm simplifying maybe something because of time constraints that takes time. I know it's not easy to do, and yet it's one of the most powerful skills that we can learn to keep taking action even though our mind goes into so many places
0: yeah and overriding that um, subconscious drive to keep you safe is is where you know the action starts to do that and I I really there's so many things that you've spoken about here that um, I know bubble up for my clients because I coach clients and I teach um, I teach similar things in corporate environments and you know fear is one of the biggest things that hold people back and I, I totally um, agree with you in having that invitation to to take action, but also to take, to take action that's not, it's thought out action, but it hasn't been thought out over a long period of time that you've got analysis paralysis, but it's about having informed, taking informed action. And you can only do that through awareness. We're not yeah. saying go and take stupid risks because um, sometimes there's, you know, there's, I, I talk about, two types of fear there's appropriate fear where it actually is doing what it's supposed to do it's stopping us from you know getting too close to an edge of a cliff it's stopping us from you know doing some silly things that are life-threatening and then there's that inappropriate fear which are the stories
1: yeah yeah
0: and there, that that's the inappropriate fear that we want to embrace and move through right
1: yes yes I love that distinction you're making right I seen. Um, I think it's important, and thank you for bringing that up. It's important to clarify that when, when I say take action, it's not about just mm-hmm. doing, you know, because, you know, because the, the podcast, right, because this conversation. It's about checking what's the action I can take that helps me to be the person I want to be. Mm-hmm. It's about asking myself constantly that. And sometimes, sometimes my mind may say, oh, Patricia, you're not ready, that's too big, too much then think about what's a micro step what's a micro action that i can take right reality is that um, living the lives and designing the lives that we want to live it's going to come with taking action but it's not about the size of the step that you want to take it's not about how big it is how much you are pushing yourself it's about are you willing to make that step regardless of the size knowing that your mind may go blah 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 knowing that you may have some butterflies in your stomach but you choose to still keep moving yeah. so i think taking action it's really not about pushing ourselves and jumping off the pool it's intentionally choosing to sit with the yucky stuff that comes when i'm doing what matters and learning also to be gentle with myself because that i think that uh, I think all those messages about just powering through and just give a dance, right? That culture of toughness that I say, it's actually so debilitating when we're living our fears, because somehow we should just get things done. It doesn't work like that. It really doesn't, right? But if I learn to actually be mindful and thoughtful of what i am approaching always checking right is this helpful to be the person i want to be or not am i handling this conflict in the way that i feel okay with myself right and taking even a micro step i think that's that's a big difference
0: yeah absolutely and i totally agree and resonate with what you're saying there around those those micro steps, because every step then leads to the next step, and you start to build. With every step you take, you start to build cells of recognition. So when the brain goes looking for, have I done this before? Do I have a program for this? You know, is it going to is it going to cause me danger? It's going to see that, hey, you've taken a step. This is okay, um, and it's going to start to, I believe, start to reframe some of those things that you thought you were afraid of. And then eventually, you look back and you go wow, look at all those things I did. Now you can do them um, quite easily, like talking on stage, for instance, because you took that first step. And all you're doing is building those cells of recognition within the brain, within the neural networks that says, I've done this before and I survived. It That's was right. okay. It was safe.
1: That's right. We learned, I think we learned a new belief systems based mm. on the right i think that's a little bit different than many times we're trying to figure out how we're going to solve a problem in our head but reality is that when we start taking action we do learn and if we step back there is maybe a new narrative there is a new way in which i'm relating to myself to my fears and to all the uncertainty that we have to live in life
0: Mm. i love that and it's interesting i'm in the process of reading um the biography of Steve Jobs, actually, and um, beautiful book. And they talk about this has got nothing to do with fear, but how they operated and came up with a new products. So if we think about this in the context of ourselves becoming a new person, mm-hmm. what they do is they'd, they'd have the prototype in the middle of a room and they wouldn't write schematics and plans for it. They would look at it and they'd pick it up and they'd touch it and they'd move around. They'd get really quite involved with it to see what worked and how it looked. And I think we can do the same thing with ourselves is start looking at what is the version of myself, take it out and think about, you know, what is it that I'm wanting, who am I wanting to become? And we can start seeing it from all of these different angles and start creating that. And um, I think that takes us to a different level of mental complexity and thinking about ourselves as being who we are now, but seeing ourselves as designers of our own identity
1: that's a beautiful example and it's a great book i love it it's uh, <laughs> one of my favorite ones and i love this reflection of how you're right when they were designing they actually were interacting and engaging with their product right they were having an experience of that you know Mac, or soon to be Apple, right not they weren't doing that too much in their head we need thinking to function but it's all- we have experiences, when we approach a situation that we will learn, right? And and I think Steve Jobs is a very, um, I think his life, right, show us one more time how he made a shift. Initially, he was very well known as a very incredible, smart person, right? But also he was hard to work with. He had high standards, tons of perfectionistic behaviors, he had zero tolerance for imperfection of failures, right? There, everyone working with him had some anecdotes about how challenging it was. However, when you keep reading the biography at the end, right, he actually make a shift in his relationships. And Walter Isaacson interviews him about that and interview other friends at that time. But you see how we develop a new awareness about how to handle with conflict, how to handle with higher standards, right? So I think it's helpful to remember that even though we're wired to experience fear and we may have all these stories that we hold with white knuckles, our brains are shapeable and coachable. But, uh, but they're going to be shaped and coach again by taking steps with gentleness and with caring, not by overthinking about stuff.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. So pick it up, take a step, have a go, iterate as you go along as you're, you know, you will, we will make mistakes. We may get up on a stage and, you know, make a mistake during a speech. That's okay. We, we learn from it and we move forward. Uh, nice. So, yeah, absolutely amazing. So, is there anything as we start to wind up is there anything that you believe that we may have left unsaid for our listeners in relation to you know moving through anything that any of their blocks anything that seems to be holding them back i know we just spoke about perfectionism as well because of you know steve jobs is was a very per- perfectionist and there's a lot of people out there that that holds them back so is there anything else you'd like to add
1: i think thank you so much for the question um i think i would like invite anyone listening to this audience to also check some of the ways in which we play it safe when we are scared what do i mean by that Uh, one of the things that happens is that many times we stay in our comfort zone because it's familiar to us we stay in relationships that are not fulfilling to us because it's familiar we stay in job situations that are not fulfilling for us and we're not growing because it's familiar And I think the challenge with a familiarity trap, it's like it's a magnet, it keeps us stuck. So I think it may look like we're handling fear-based responses in an effective way, but hundreds of times we do play it safe. We do play it safe by overthinking things, by trying to make the best decision, by postponing or delaying, or by shooting for higher standards, right? So the way that I think of perfectionism, procrastination, decision, or analysis paralysis are familiar, plain and safe moves that are coming from a place of fear and that keep us stuck. It just happens that they are too familiar for people that sometimes we don't realize we are just staying in our comfort zone. So that would be my invitation to watch for those familiarity traps.
0: Mm. So just on that, I'm going to ask a question is how would somebody... What would be signs if somebody is stuck in the familiar or stuck in the comfort zone? What would they be experiencing in their life?
1: That's a great question. I like to think of, of, of uh, moments of a stuckness. I think if we look at our, our day-to-day life, and sometimes I invite my clients, and I do this myself, I do an inventory of how some activities are energizing and revitalizing for me in my week. Uh, how some activities are drainers. i just, I'm, you know, fighting myself, I'm dragging my feet to go there. And then I look, you know, what's really happening in my life, what's happening in this snapshot of one week, right, what am I doing um, more? Am I feeling revitalized and energized when I'm having this conversation, when I'm seeing my clients, or what's happening? So I think doing an inventory of how our day-to-day life looks like it's important. Because when things are too familiar, we don't realize that we're actually perpetuating um, the sense of a stuckness. Um, sometimes when I ask my clients to do an inventory, they are surprised. They're surprised because they say, I didn't realize that I was doing like 60% of things that actually I don't want to be doing, right? Um, I'm not saying that all our life is going to be about doing the things that we like. But I'm saying that meaningful lives and lives that we design are going to have um, integration of the stuff that we have to do, the stuff that is fun, and the stuff that we care about. Uh, when we have that awareness and we design our life in that way, it's less likely we're going to play it safe. It's human to play it safe, but we don't want to do it a lot. We don't want to get stuck on that a lot.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much. That's a really good um really good tool for people to think about is taking that inventory of how they're feeling in their life. And I think too, you might find that if you're easily distracted with things that don't serve you, or if you're really bored, you p- could also be feeling a sense of I'm in my comfort zone um, and not ready to, you know, test the boundaries and push my belief horizons a little. So yeah, beautiful. So thank you. So Patricia, if people would like to get hold of you to delve a little deeper into the work you do, what's the best way they can contact you?
1: Um, I have the website, it's thisisdrz.com. Um, yeah and also i'm on instagram and on twitter my, my twitter ID is passionate behaviorist so that's also the best way to get a hold of me
0: <laughs> beautiful so i recommend people i'm not on twitter but anyone that is please jump on board and um and follow and uh follow her great work so as we round out today is there a final i know you have spoken about moving outside of your comfort zone but if you were to look back at your own life and what you've been able to move through is there anything any words of wisdom from your own experience you'd like to leave as a final message for our listeners today?
1: Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. I think when I look back at my own life and when I look at the times in which I played safe and how I have to dance with all that collection of fears I have, I will invite people to remember that it is possible to design and to live the life that we want to have even though our mind may tell us all types of things, but it's doable.
0: Oh, beautiful. So take those wise words of wisdoms and start getting out there and designing your life. Thank you so much, Patricia. It's been amazing talking with you. And um, I look forward to uh, hearing what our listeners have to say about what fears they've been able to overcome as a, as a result of listening to your wise words. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Georgia. Very much appreciated chatting with you. Today is turning into the most curious adventure I've ever had.